want to go live on video but are a bit unsure where to start? Or maybe you already go live a lot but you are scared to sell. Download for free the Live Authentic Storytelling Guide. Six steps to infuse storytelling into your live videos. You'll get practical structure to help you convert your audience from raving fans to loyal customers. Go to www.livestorytellingguide.com and get your free guide today. On today's podcast is one of my favorite thought leaders in the online space, who also happens to be my friend. Liz Kimball is a creativity coach, writer, and founder of The Collective, a network of feminist creators dedicating to fostering cultural change through creativity. Her work has been featured at TEDx, Oprah.com, the MBA, the Guggenheim, NYU, and at universities and institutions throughout the country. On today's episode, Liz and I discuss why we need a self-help revolution, how your business is a mirror, risk, and the evolution of dreams with flexible identity. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Okay, my friends, today I want to welcome to the podcast a dear, dear friend who, dare I say, was so inspiring to me when I started my online business that I used to pretend in the mirror, I'd be like, what would Liz Kimball do? And I would emulate what she was doing. I would go look at the stuff that she was doing. I was like, hmm, how can I make my own spin or twist on that? That's how much I love and respect and adore this incredibly creative, incredibly, well, she's a genius, incredibly genius woman. Liz Kimball, welcome to the show. I'm so honored by that intro and I'm so honored to be here and I'm crying. So thank you. (laughs) Well, you are many, many miles away. You're in Australia. Yeah. You've just had a baby, which is incredible. Your life is so exciting. It is. And I do feel that that's a privilege at this moment that so many of us don't have. So I'm really aware of how privileged I am to have had some things that kept it exciting for lack of, you know, just to to have some things to look forward to, which I think during this time we've, in absence of that, there's like obviously a great spiritual work to do when you don't have that thing to look forward to, but also I'm just grateful that I've had some major events. Yeah. I I mean, I have some events too. Obviously I got engaged. (laughs) I moved to San Francisco, but even within myself, I've had these moments of like almost a depression that I haven't felt since the (laughs) nineties. Now that's going back. And I really have had these moments and depression is a very strong word for it because I would not say I was clinically depressed and there are people out there that suffer with depression. So I don't want to minimize that. But my point is, even with all the tools that I have in my toolbox, I've had these moments of, wow, it just doesn't feel like there's that much to look forward to right now. I want to thank you for saying that because I feel like we look to you as this person who is you have all the tools and you are so inspired. And so it, it gives me permission for the last year for some of the darker feelings that I've had. And my amazing therapist, thank goodness for therapy, truly has really been like guiding me to look toward the darkness and the shadow, which is not in my, that's just not where I'm naturally oriented. So I've, I've experienced a lot of that this year. And thank you for saying that. It's just like, it's real. Well, I think that we have to own the shadow right? Because otherwise it's fake and false. 
which leads me to a question that I have for you about your feelings, your thoughts on the need for a self-help industry revolution. We're going there. Yes. So I just want to preface this by saying that I am the target market of the self-help industry. You know, like when we used to go to grocery stores, I am the person who on the way from the line or target, from the way from the line to the checkout, I get every single item that's on the way to the checkout because I'm just every marketer's dream. And I think it's those of us who are sensitive people, we're moved by things. And so like the self-help industry has been, I have such a complex relationship with it because not only am I in it, my life has truly been saved by it. And I think it is in need of a great revolution. So I'm, I'm holding space for all of those things to be true. Yeah, because multiple things can be true at the same time. I will tell you that without self-help, my teen years would have been like a nightmare. I used to go into the Walden Bookstore at the mall, the Cherry Land County Mall, and I would search self-help because I knew that I was struggling so bad. And my parents didn't have the foresight send me to therapy. They didn't understand what the hell was going on with me. They didn't have that tool. And those books, that like sort of time, whatever that was, was very helpful. But I also feel that it's, it's come an interesting way in the 30 years since I was introduced to it. So I would love to hear your thoughts on what needs to change. That brings tears to my eyes thinking of you in that bookstore. <laughs> I, I uh, was also saved by a book around bodies and eating. And truly, it was the book that one book, I will never forget this book, I don't even know if I would be alive without that book. I mean, it, it really changed the course of my life. Wait, what was the book? So <laughs> the book, it was called Bulimorexia. And wow, I don't normally talk about this, so here we are. But I struggled with eating disorders, as so many ballet dancers and young women did and do. And I also didn't have, there was no nobody in my life who was just modeling like a way of taking care of your trauma and your demons. The, the, the belief in my family was you are just a person with a lot of demons in your head and that's the way you'll always be. I mean, I, my mother would repeat that, you know, she's like, we just have, we're just hard on ourselves. That's sort of the narrative. My grandmother, you know, we all did it, all the women in my lineage. And so I didn't have any tools. I was totally struggling as so many of us have around our relationship with our bodies, but I like had this eating disorder. I mean, it's, I can laugh now and say that like even my eating disorder was an intersection because like my whole life is an intersection. So I couldn't put myself in any of the ways people were talking about disordered eating. And then I found this book and it was like being seen. I get goosebumps talking about it because that moment when you're healing is first your, your journey, whatever you are working with and no one has named it for you. And finally somebody says, I see you through a book. And I'm good at following the directions when they're honest and true and when they speak to me. So I picked up the book and followed the directions and that began not there were plenty of other people involved in that healing journey and I definitely think it's taken over a decade and it's still evolving but that was the catalyst well and thank you for saying that that it's still evolving I mean I, I think you know that I've had my own body image issues I'm, I'm doing a whole entire film on it I'm so glad you are to, you know in, in in terms of healing that my nanorexia so I honor that you're willing to chat and say that and be open about it so thank you for that now here we are, though, these yeah. years later. Right. And again, this is an, it's a complex industry with all kinds of people in it. But this idea that one needs to be improved, just that sort of idea itself, 
I think, puts us out of connection with our wholeness. And I remember when I was in my coach training, such an obvious point that I had never heard until this moment in my life when they said, we are all whole and simultaneously on our way to our next level of wholeness or something like that. It blew my mind because I just had the the wiring was I'm broken. I need to be fixed. And that's where the self-help industry, I think that's why I'm like every self-help marketer's dream. So until we start, I think we begin with a foundation of wholeness, which to me, I don't know what it's like for you and, and for your listeners, but that is a radical thought for me. Then we can explore and be curious and be sovereign in our searching, but not reinforcing this narrative that is tied to capitalism, too, that like that the solution to my brokenness is in a product, a book, a person, a way, 10 steps to success. Yeah. Okay. I so relate to that in that for me, that was during my yoga training that I first really understood the idea of wholeness, that I was not broken because for many years, because of the trauma abuse from my childhood, I felt that I was a broken human being that needed fixing. And that led to things like manorexia that led, those were like the, those were the, the, those were the, the effects of that original feeling broken, which I think in some ways comes to original sin, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it goes back to that in a way, and it's a capitalism of the idea of original sin, of of not being whole. Even though, if you really look at the root, it is we are all whole, we are all one, we are we are oneness, right? But a radical idea, and I want to say it can be so easy to like, and then we're all whole. And I want to just say that this is a daily conversation what? for me. Yes, preach every <laughs> moment because I want because it. I think you get to a level of understanding like, okay, we're all whole. Mind blown. I'm seeing my partner is whole. I mean, it, you know, then you're, I'm seeing my clients as whole, totally paradigm shifting. But then, then there's, then there's just layer upon layer of where that shows up. So I still, I mean, I'm, I'm hiring somebody in my business to help me think through organizational structure and in hiring because it's not my zone of genius. And I'm watching myself approaching this work we're going to do together. And I'm, I still see the mindset of like, and this, this is the linchpin. This yes. is the person that will come in. And change everything. And solve it. And yes. solve all my broken parts. Yes. Because I really think our businesses are, they're people. I think of it like a, a person and like creative, you know, just like I think of a book, like a part, you know, our creative babies are people. And the business is just showing you all your issues. It just shows you all your issues. I mean, I knew that from having run a business before, but it wasn't a personal brand business. Yes. And that has really shown me in the personal brand business that the, I was one of those people who's like, I have been working on myself for years. I've got it all down. I'm good to go. And then I started a personal brand business and it was like, oh, okay. On a daily basis, you're going to be confronted by your ish. You're going to be confronted by it every single day. So you can show up fully and you can show up wholly as we were talking and honestly, and you're going to make such mistakes and you're going to learn to be okay with it. The thing I'm working with right now really is like, and it, again, another radical thought for me. And the way it works is like, I hear myself say it to somebody else. And then I'm like, oh, maybe it's a good idea to bring that into your own relation. I mean, that really is the, like the gift and also the great invitation to some of the work that I do is if I'm not 
every step of the way applying what I'm telling somebody else to do to myself. I am out of alignment. I am, I am out of integrity and it's a constant balance. It's really like, how can I stay with myself? Like how often do I abandon myself in the way I'm doing a, a business practice or the way I'm, you know, was taught to be in my creative practice. Cause I feel like you and I both, we have these like lifetimes of creative training and in all of that training, I felt no one really taught me, like, here's how you have a relationship with your creativity that can be nourishing and sovereign. You know, I just didn't know. I thought, like, it's supposed to be tortured and a war. And so my, I'm thinking right now is, like, how do I not leave myself? Like, okay, I have an, an issue in the business. I have to deal with something that's coming up that's an uncomfortable situation. But how do I stay with myself and stay in my body, like, as I handle this? Oh, my God. That is, like, I, I can only say it to you. I'm not practicing it. But it's my something I'm exploring. <laughs> I'm laughing only because I can really relate, honestly. Speaking of creativity and creative practice, you mentioned there that nobody ever taught you like how to be creative, how to have a practice that wasn't, because we, we have this, let me say this, we have this sort of idea of the broken, speaking of broken, the struggling, the, that's the real artist, right? The narrative of that's real art. You got to be tortured. You got to be poor. You got to be this, that, and the other. These are all these ideas that we've been told over the, over the years. How do you shift that narrative within yourself? As I hear you say that, I'm thinking we just don't have anything more to learn, I think, culturally about that. Like we've sort of, that narrative has reached, it's, we can be honest, it's produced some amazing art. And we know that. We don't have anything else to learn. I grew up with two parents where I think were very, they were both artists and they were both really in that. I don't think there was anything else available to them. I mean, there was just truly so few examples of I can be in my creative practice, I can be delivering art to the world, and I can explore what it means to be healthy and nourished as I do that and to have like a beautiful relationship with my creativity. They just didn't they didn't know anything else other than like, we're constantly in this state of struggle. So I really think that like, I'm sort of continuing on their journey is like, they gave themselves permission to be artists, which was radical for their generation and for their family lines. And so now I'm like, okay, we give the permission. And then how can our creative practices be a place where we can build the world that we want to see? Like, I think that the, the way I came into the arts and creativity was we were making these beautiful products, but on the back end of it, we were shaming each other. We were beating ourselves up. We were practicing sort of a dynamic around power that we're all now exploring, you know, <laughs> realizing that doesn't work, but that's really, it's really powerful the way that was handed down to us in our practices. And so my best friend, she's a kindergarten teacher, no, now she's teaching first grade, but she said to me once, our classrooms are a place where we can like explore the world we want to live in. Like that's, that's what, that's what I do in the classroom. I like, I can't control anything else in the world, but I can control the conditions of this classroom. And that really affected me. Like, I, I think since then I think about like, how is my creative process and collaborations a place to practice and build the new world and not like make, even if it's an amazing product that's, has beautiful messages for us if we make it with those old systems of oppression to oneself and to each other then we're not it's not actually true progress Whew. i feel that i feel that hard 
I really do, because I can think of a project that I was working on that the idea behind it was not that. And yet somehow it coalesced into power struggle and power dynamics and, and a death of a dream, mm. the death of a dream for me, which was very painful, very painful. I'm so curious about, well, I have, I think about dreams all the time. So I'm. Well, the dream really was what you're talking about was that, that it wouldn't have those struggles, that it would be the message that the show was intending, that it would, and there, I have seen that happen. Let me make that very clear. I have seen that happen, but it's so few and far between in the industry in which I, we, 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 that we grew up in and the way in which we grew up. My family dynamic was very different in that I was the first artist in the family. And so it was, oh my gosh, we're so worried you're going to be poor. And so that has always been on the, the backside. My tailwind has been, I'm not going to be poor because I'm going to prove it to my family that I'm not going to be poor. <laughs> it's so connected. I mean, our work is so connected to our ancestors and our family's work. Yeah, that lineage, right? That That's passed down generationally. And the idea of hard work was, is, is a big part of mine. I know that for sure. Me too. And once again, it's an evolving like I'm again having this conversation with myself every day and really noticing where am I inconsistent? It's easier for me to talk to you about this and to write about it on the internet. And the hardest place is in my own little sphere. And so I was looking at this year. Uh, also, I've decided that my new year is now February. Here in Australia, there's there, um, I'm living in Chinatown, and so the Chinese New Year is next week, and the Lunar New Year. First of all, I, like, go to the Church of the Moon. That is my church, is the moon and creativity. So why am I doing the other New Year? So no, this is my new thing. Love it. Anyone who would like to join me, take January, the whole month of January, to think about your next year. And it just, to me, feels like a little anti-our hustle culture rush. Mm-hmm paradigm. But I was looking at the year and I realized that I was about to just reproduce the same cycle that I've been the way I would direct shows and the way my parents would put shows up and the way, this whole cycle of like, I'm going to everything I can to make this thing happen. If it costs my sanity, if it costs my body, if it costs my well-being in my home, doesn't matter. And I realized like in the middle of it, so I actually, I canceled an entire program because I was like, it's not, if I continue this, then I'm not modeling what I teach. And also, what are we learning here? That's very brave. I actually do feel that it was brave <laughs> for me. It was brave for me. No, I think it's brave to say, no, this isn't working for me. And, I, you know, I have to cancel this. And, you know, and and not only brave, but it's also at best interest for your students, clients, customers because you would have been fully there and maybe that's what they needed to I mean that's what I'm telling myself is like sometimes we I think so much about how yes projects and dreams we have an idea that they make this full arc and and they they do want to make a full arc most of the time but sometimes they're not meant to make a full arc I really do believe this about creative projects and dreams and sometimes you just need to take them to a certain point and you're like oh that's where that was meant to go for now okay Thank you. And sometimes they take a break. You know, they take a couple years. Right. You know, I've had projects that then then start again and they and in a different way, different form. They take a new form or shape. When you were a child, what were your dreams? My dreams were to be a ballerina 
slash CEO slash cat. And it was very specific. I held that dream for many, like sort of, I think, I can't remember when it, like three, three-ish to like five or six. Okay. When you say cat, do you mean cat, do you mean cats the musical or do you mean a literal This is cat? a great question. <laughs> I meant a literal cat, Nick, but I did go on to do cats the musical. So maybe that was some fulfillment of that dream. Yeah. Yeah. And how many, how much of that do you see now in your life? And what do you think we tell kids about dreams? It's all over my life. I mean, I think the way it's all over my life is, first of all, just this intersection. So holding space for like, I, I was so specific. I wanted to be all of those three things. It wasn't, I really wasn't about the individual paths. It was like, no, I am all of these things. And that feels like, and I know so many of your listeners and other podcast guests too, like our, our multidimensional people and we're, ex- we're expressing our purpose in a variety of ways. And again, I think when you and I were growing up, it was like, that's, that's not the way we do. We choose one thing, we go on one path and that's the pathway to success. So I think like little Liz, who I was, I had an alter ego at that time too. So actually her name was Sally. Little Sally slash Liz was like really kind of disrupting that and showing me like, it's not going to be easy. It's harder, I think, in this society to be multifaceted. But I mean, you cannot fight who you are. Like that's been my learning is like, if that's who I am, that's who I am. And I think little, little ones, what do we teach them? I'm engaging with this question right now because I have a son. And so now I'm sort of re-evaluating everything we engage with. But what was shown to me, I think I just really grew up with this dream narrative that is have the dream, go for the dream, go to the end, and you are that dream. You know, that there's no difference. There's no separation between you and the dream. It's almost like it really defines us. And when I did, you know, I was a ballet dancer and then at the really pivotal point in my life, I realized right before I was going to go into the professional role as a ballet dancer, I was like, this is not it for me. This is not the right path. I had to really let go of that idea that if I don't go for my dream, that I'm failing as a human being because it was so not right for my mental health, for my desire, really for my creative desires to go down that path. But I felt so much shame and guilt because I was like, well, but that was my dream. And that's what I've been saying. At a certain point, I think in my education, I dropped the CEO and the cat because everyone's like, what do you want to be? You got to say one thing. So I was like, I want to be a ballerina. And I happened to be training really famously. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It became an identity. We get so wrapped into it that it becomes you. Yeah. Uh, I can so relate to that because I was a dancer as well, as you know, in my, in my first career. And when I decided to step away, people could not believe it. I was 26 when I decided to step away. People were like, what are you doing? You're having success. What are you doing? And they know you as that. They're like, right. Nick, dancer. The brain goes, that's who you are. And that I resented so desperately because my brain was, well, but Nick's also a CEO and Nick's also a writer and Nick's also a filmmaker and Nick, Nick's also a, a spiritual seeker. And Nick's like, I had all of these other parts of me that so desperately wanted to be explored, let alone seen, but even just explored. And it was like, well, but you're a dancer. Wow. Wait, so I'm so curious what helped you to let that go because that's really powerful when your community is like 
telling you to do something. I, I told the story. I think I even told it on the first episode of this podcast of being at Radio City, dancing with the Rockettes. And I had this moment where I was just so miserable. I was so miserable. And I was in a bear head and tears were rolling down my cheeks because I was doing the Russian bear. And part of the story I don't tell that often is that I was in the dressing room. I had taken it off and I was like, this is not my life. This is not the life I want to live. And then I happened to, there was an entertainment weekly magazine sitting on the, the dressing room table and I picked it up and I looked at it and Malcolm Getz, who was an actor at the time he was in this show, a hit show called Caroline in the City in the 90s, he had been a, a Radio City dancer and he had said that it wasn't his life. And he verbalized in Entertainment Weekly what I had just said to myself. For, that was like synchronistic validation, God going... Tink, here's, you know, the little fairy godfather going, Tink, here, godmother. Tink, here you go. Here's the sign that you need. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, okay. I have to explore. I have to expand. This is not, this is not it. I love that story because I believe that your path and your, like the, the projects and the dreams that you are working on, other people that you don't know about are involved in that constellation. I really believe it. Like if you have the vision, there are other people that you don't know who are going to be moved and transformed by it. And I don't know, Malcolm Getz didn't know you, but your whole path was affected by his brave choice to, to follow what was right for him. You're, you're absolutely right about that. Like he didn't know, he didn't had no idea that him putting that in Entertainment Weekly would change my life and the, the course of it. Years later, I met him, and I, t I told him the story, and he just looked at me like I was, like, crazy. <laughs> I was like, you totally changed my life. He's like, huh, really? You know, it was, like, so, like, and I, I was like, wow, right. It wasn't about that at all. It wasn't about that at all. That's so good. So how do you then move that or change that idea, that framework, that way of being going forward in your life? Well, how am I changing it? Yeah, um, how are you changing it? I am writing and thinking about it because that's how I learn everything, I think, and express and, and process and, and really just like trying on new ideas. I, I think of like this idea that you can change a belief or, I mean, I haven't gotten into hypnosis yet, but I'm sure I will. Again, I'm self-help stream, but <laughs> that like sort of idea that, oh, wow. Okay, I'm having a moment. So when I became a mom, my brain really did change. Like it really is this thing that happens. And there are moments where you lose your thought. It's this mind blowing thing. It, it's like, I have to just name it because it's like these, you know, I heard this mindfulness practitioner once who has Alzheimer's said that like he lost his thought while he was giving a talk. And he was like, the only thing I can do in this moment is name that it's happening and be vulnerable with my people. So I'm here naming that I lost my thought, which is something that has happened <laughs> since motherhood. So I'm talking about hypnosis. Maybe you remember. So we were talking about changing the framework that the, the, yeah. the, your creative process and that you write it out that you that's how you and you've been thinking about it yeah and so I experiment with new beliefs because I don't know how to sort of change a belief in this ultimate dogmatic way but I do like to audition new stories and beliefs and be like well okay is this going to work for me what's the test right is it going to make me feel better is it going to help me express more of my purpose and so the way I think about it now is that a dream 
is just like a vehicle or a container for your personal evolution. So the whole reason that you have a dream or a goal is so you can personally evolve. And it's just like a playground and you use it for as long as is necessary in that evolution. And it's just helped me personally to identify less with these like I am this period. I am a coach period. I am a writer. I am a dancer. And I am a human exploring some questions in this lifetime. And there are certain skill sets and certain what we would call careers or professional identities that are helping me do that. And that helps me to just free myself, even though I will say, like, I am a coach. I'm a writer. I do these things because the world needs to know who I am. But I am no longer identifying with them in that way. And that helps me. Yeah, Tanya Burrell, who was a, a previous podcast guest, she interviewed me for for a project she was doing, and she said, and I have stole this from her because it's so good. She and stole by stole. I asked her, and she said, of course, of course, of course. She she asked me. She said, I want you to fill in the blank. I am, and I took a deep breath and I said, period. That's it. I am. Rather than defining myself as the writer, as the artist, as the teacher, as the coach, I'm all of those things. I am. It's radical. And the question I would ask is like, is it, does it help you? You know, if it helps us to do more of our work, then let's just let go of the titles. If we, if they're not helping us, I think the fear, I know the fear that I have because excellent, like I'm so devoted to excellence and mastery that like, if I don't identify at that, as that, then I'm saying I'm not, I'm sort of dilly dallying and I'm not caring about excellence and craft. Well, what I realized for me is that other people don't know how to define me. It's not about me. I know how to define myself. I am. But what I realized is that other people feel this desperate need to understand who I am. And in order for them, from a marketing perspective, to find me, they need to know, oh, you're for me. Yes. And that is where it gets tricky. It gets tricky. And, though, I think when we make that separation between your inner being and your Mm -hmm. parts and who you are on the inside and the marketing language, so that's just a tool to help attract people. Then I think we can start, because I I talk to so many people who have shame and challenges around, like, I am, like, we just get, we get paralyzed. I think the first step is just saying, like, I can give you whatever you need. Like, I can give you some language today that is going to help you know what the parts of me that you might need to know, but we don't need to let that be about me. Right. What my, what I've realized is what my little saying is on Instagram doesn't define me. It helps others figure out where to find me. Yeah. Which is helpful. Yeah. That's it. But it's not me. And then you can be as actually as specific as you want, which Mm -hmm. only helps people find you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm evolving and changing daily. So guess what? This week, my bio might say storytelling expert. Next week, it might say something completely different. And you're going to either go for the ride with me or you're not. And that's okay. I think about that with our branding homes in Instagram and on our website because I evolve in real time. I think that's one of the skills necessary for anyone who's in the thought and idea space is you have to be willing to evolve in front of people. I mean, I would say any creative, any art, like your people are going to watch you. And it means that you'll, I've been thinking so much about our earlier work, like in, and how we can look back on our early work with love and not being, you know, repulsed by it. 
but it's like, that was just, that's what I was working through at that time. And the people, it's actually really interesting to follow someone. Like I would love to go watch your Instagram bio evolve. It's so freeing. I mean, the interesting thing about about Instagram, for instance, is you could just scroll back. You don't need the bio. You can just yeah. see where where my mind was, what was what my thoughts were, where I was heading by by what I was posting. Because you know, of course, we post, or at least I post, what I'm thinking about, what I'm working on, what I'm believing to be true in the moment, what I want to put out there. It's powerful. It's these fixed identities again. I just don't think we have anything more to learn. I think they're hurting us culturally. So I think exploring something beyond it is the future. And I think we are going to feel more and more fluid. And the opposing force for me there is like, and how do I stay really like connected to craft and, and be in integrity with work so that I am not moving, flowing so much that I'm not really being that kind of having that discipline, that beautiful, that quiet devotional discipline to whatever skill set or craft I'm working on. I mean, it's interesting because we both come from this very disciplined world of dance. And I think that part of the part of the need was to break away from the discipline, to open ourselves up creatively. And yet at the same time, there's a part of me anyway, I, I don't want to speak for you, but that craves that discipline all at the same time. Oh, I have thought so many times, how do I make my business like a ballet class? I mean, how, how can I... <laughs> borrow that disciplined child and bring her back to the business because I have really explored the I wouldn't say the opposite of discipline but I have definitely explored sort of way more of a flow approach but I'm working now on systems and consistency because that's actually really necessary it's grounding and it helps you be more creative but it I I kind of had to go farther away from it for a while and really just like explore and now I'm I feel like I'm creating more grounding and structures. Yeah, I, I feel like this is something you and I have talked about quite a bit. Like the idea yeah. of going further than you are even comfortable with to then come back to center. Well, you said that to me the other day. It's really affected me. I think we're so afraid in anything of going too far that we don't we don't ever find the sweet spot. It's risk. It's risk, which I have a huge I have a I have a new acronym for risk, by the way, that I created the other day. I, it just came out of me, which was remember who you are. You are you're whole, the wholeness. Yes. So if you're taking a risk, the R of the risk is you're already whole. The I is imagination. You're setting something into motion that maybe has never existed before or existed in the, in this way. The S is that you're sharing, you're sharing yourself. And then the K is that this knowledge the knowingness that it's already in existence. Oh, I could I could work with that for months. <laughs> so that's something I'm going to break down, speaking of working with in the next few months, and sort of really dive into each part of that. I've been playing with tracking things, but like, what do I want to track that actually feels true to me instead of like, what are people, you know, what are you supposed to track? What numbers are you supposed to track? But I am playing with just keeping gentle lists, really, but just tracking like, essentially risks, right? Like I would call it a brave thing, but like, Mm -hmm. what do I really want to be proud of at the end of a year, at the end of my life, like that I am risking for the sake of the growth of our humanity. So it's something I'm trying to track just because like that feels like the biggest measure of my success versus any of the other numbers and optics and things that we might evaluate normally by. Yeah, because people will ask me often, like, how have you had so many successes? And I don't see them, right? I don't see it like that. The way that I see it is that I've just been willing to take risk. Yeah. I've just been willing to go there. 
almost to the point of making a fool out of myself. And that's when I know I've gone too far. <laughs> Speaking of like going to going out too far, that's when I know is when it just doesn't feel right. When it doesn't feel right on the inside, not what the external validation is, because sometimes by going super far, you actually get more validation than maybe is deemed. Because on the in, inside, you're going, ooh, that, that, that's not right for me. It might be right for other people. It's not right for me. It takes a lot of bravery, too, to say, like, even if it's right for other people, I'm not going to keep doing that. Or I'm not going to go there for now. That's, I'm, I'm, that's something I probably needed to hear today. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, because, we, it, you know, I think we can struggle with, no matter who we are, with that idea of comparisonitis. If they're doing it and it's working for them, then, it, then I better try it, even if it's not in alignment with who we are or how we see the world or what we really offer, because it leads us to imposter syndrome. Because we'll think, I am not enough. If I'm not like them, if I don't have the success that they do, if I don't have what they have, or if I'm not like they are, then maybe I'm not enough. Yeah, the thing that helps me around this enoughness, I would call it a spell, the spell of not enoughness. Adrian Marie Brown, who is one of my teachers, she doesn't know I'm her student, but I am a, a devoted student of her work. She wrote Pleasure Activism and Emergent Strategy. But she talks about spells, and it has really helped me to look at something like not enoughness as a spell, because instead of a fault of my own, or it's something wrong with me, it's something, again, like a, a thing I am carrying, no, it is a spell in our evolution as, as, as human beings. That is so good. Yeah, well, it's all her. So I, I really, it's helped me to see it that way. So the spell of not enoughness is how our current culture is still working. Because groups of us are still under the spell that we're not enough. Hence why I buy all the things to make myself whole. Which is why I think the self-improvement industry needs a revolution. If this devotion to growing yourself, we want to keep that. Because the more we actually grow this, the more we work to like bust through the spell of not enoughness, that is actively building the new world. That is actively taking us to, okay, so if we no longer have to sell makeup to women because the makeup makes me feel like I am somehow making up for something that's not whole about myself. What then? What are we going to build then? And that question, like, okay, not this, but that, what are we building? Like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with that question. Because I just think you're, you're talking about imagination. Like, we forget the power of our imagination. Oh, yes. Yes. And that is really tied to that risk. Like I was saying, the R, the I of it is that imagination that the only way to move out of, as you're saying, the not enoughness of the individual is for the collective imagination to shift. Yeah, I think it's from Ayanna Presley, although I'm not entirely sure on that source, but this idea of our destinies are tied, it's a hashtag, hashtag our destinies are tied, but that's been a really important I think I've grown up just thinking like I am making everything happen on my own and I am this little solo ship in the ocean but that's not the way that's part of the masculine patriarchy yeah like the feminine the divine feminine is collaboration creativity imagination the divine masculine is through structure and and force and while we clearly cannot rid ourselves and should not rid ourselves of the divine masculine. We're looking for equanimity. And part of that equanimity is through the collaboration versus individual force. And it's a really interesting 
thought to come back to this, the industry, this self-improvement industry that you and I are both in? Well, even the word is self. Right. Well, I was going to say, and even the way these, I think one of the reasons I've both been in and also really struggled with and opposed some of the ways solo entrepreneurs are sort of brought into the world and taught to be in the world is it feels so solo. Like it just feels like we are taking out this necessary ingredient of collaboration. And I come from this background of the arts where like we're always collaborating. So my next, like everything I'm thinking about really in the next several years is like, how can we collaborate? Because I hear over and over these stories of my clients and people I work with are like, I'm so lonely. Like I, this desire for team, it comes from the body. Like it comes from nature where there's a reason we have that inside of us. We're not meant to be in these silos. And that's the way I think the online space can get and is set up a little bit. And I'm like, we need a new way. Well, it was set up by a very masculine driven, individualistic I'm going to make a certain amount of money on the internet. That was its origin. And it is evolving and has evolved, particularly with more women, more people of color, more LGBTQ folks. Like it is shifting and evolving and changing. And I do believe that collaboration is a huge part of that. And I personally have been reaching out to people to collaborate because I miss it. Like you were saying, I come from, we come from the theater the, th- the musical theater at that, which is the most collaborative art form of any art form out there, which has its own interesting, you know, set of issues around, consequently. But there is that that deep desire to work with, to build with. Yeah, and I think that even if we haven't really seen it yet, that, like, it doesn't mean that it's not coming and it's not possible. Mm-hmm. And Oh, it's coming. I'm, it's coming. I'm so lit. Yeah. It's coming. I believe, I believe it's coming. And that, that's a belief. We can go on, we could go into a whole tangent about what beliefs are, but I'm going to believe that. My word of this this year is magic. Mine is alchemy. I saw that yours was magic and I love that our words are related. Of course they are. Of Of course they're related. It's, I think about how much we've done this thing where it's like, here's my personal vision. And then here's my vision for the world. And again, it's like, they're no longer separate. And I think that's why my vision is cloudy is because my vision for everyone and for me now is the same. And so I'm less attached to, does that mean I write a bunch of books and I do speaking and I grow a community? Does it mean I do something else entirely? I'm less attached to that now. Attached to what it should look like, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I so understand that. I really can resonate deeply with that because it, it, for whatever reason, the energy seems to take me where I can best serve whoever it is that it is in front of me, ultimately. And I know for certain that you are an incredible thought leader. That I know. That's what I see when I see you is this beautiful thought leader. And I know the listeners know that after hearing this interview today. Whether you are writing a book or speaking on stage or in front of your community or somebody else's community or our world as a whole, you showing up and you being you with the brilliant mind that you have, you're making impact. Thank you for that. And I want to share that you were such an integral piece, particularly in my relationship with writing, because I don't even know if you remember this, but many years ago now, you were leading a writing retreat Mm -hmm. and I applied to this writing retreat on a total whim thinking 
I will never be chosen for this thing. I didn't go to school to be a writer. And by some grace of the heavens, I was selected to be on this writing retreat. It was how we started our relationship. And that one little piece of faith that you put in me has truly like made such a difference in my life. And I just think, you know, it's these little bets that somebody else puts on you. We can't underestimate the power of them. And yours was really meaningful to me. I'm not going to Malcolm gets you. And I'm going to say, <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I totally see that. But I want to say this to you. It actually wasn't me. Yes, it was me because I was in charge of, of that. But there was a committee of people that chose the writers. I approved them, but you were chosen by many, many people as you will be as you continue to write. Thank you for that. Where can everyone go find you? Because they are going to want to follow you now, this brilliance that you are. I spend a lot of time on Instagram, Nick. How my husband feels about that is another conversation for another day. (laughs) (laughs) At Liz Kimball on Instagram is the best place to connect with me. Also on my website, LizKimball.com. I think everything in the online space is a conversation. And if it's not a conversation, we're not doing it right. So I'd love to talk to anyone there. Oh, wait, one more thing before you go. I want to ask you about your 15 minutes a day commitment to your creativity and that that others can also be a part of. Well, Nick, it's really simple. It is exactly what you said. It is 15 (laughs) minutes a day. To me, it's a writing practice right now, but this was a practice that was developed at the very beginning of the Thank goodness I get to say last president in the United States, no longer the president, the last four years, but it was created out of that crisis as a way of like, what are we going to do right now? And a bunch of us just got together. I just brought a bunch of people together on the internet. I was like, well, let's be creative for 15 minutes a day. It's a commitment we can all make. It's very hard to say no to 15 minutes. And we didn't really know what to do with, uh, many of us just didn't know what to do with ourselves at that time. So it really was born out of a crisis and it has been the, this pillar practice for me. It's so simple. It's just saying, I'm going to commit for 15 minutes a day. There are five rules and the rules are show up, turn off the noise. That means that's a big one. It's a big one. It's huge. We could have a whole episode on turning off the noise, Yeah. turning off the noise inside and outside of your head, tell the truth, forgive yourself and be open to what comes up. And that's it. And for some reason, it's carried me through, carried me through that the last four years of this administration, and it's carried, it's helped a lot of people because I think we have these grand plans about what our creative practice is going to be, and that just sets us up for disappointment and not meeting our own expectations. And I want us to feel successful about our creative practice, and I want us to feel harmonious about our relationship with creativity, even if you don't get anything good that day. She's mysterious. Sometimes she gives you, you know, she's like, I'm coming today, and tomorrow you're going to be on your own for a little bit. I'm in the background. <laughs> that That is the muse right there. That is the yeah. muse. But she loves when you keep showing up. She wants to know that you are there as an act of devotion, not as an act of obligation. Mm. And that's what this 15-minute practice is. So especially as a mom right now, all I can do is commit to 15 minutes a day. And I don't even have a time that I commit to it because my schedule is fluid. But I just make sure that I put on that timer for 15 minutes once a day. And I encourage anyone else who that speaks to 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 join. We're going to do a, a thing later in the year where we'll all do it together. Okay, well, we'll definitely let everyone know when you're doing that so that they can join. I, it's called the Creative Soul Pro Podcast, and I, I love when people come together 
to share their creativity. So we'll definitely share that. Speaking of which, go to Instagram, find Liz, follow her. And uh, there's some gems in this episode. Let her and let me know the gem of the gem of the gem for you. what What is the middle of the gem? I don't know. But whatever that is, let us know. Thank you so much, Liz, for being here, for being a friend all these years, for your your bravery, your deep honesty, and for continuing to inspire me. So thank you. Thank you, Nick. And thank you for this podcast that you have brought into the world. It's a really beautiful constellation of conversations. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends. Please rate, write us a review, and subscribe so we can spread the word and other solopreneurs just like you can find us.